Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services and also information on our forthcoming events. For now though, let's get on with the show. Welcome to this week's episode. Today we hear from Chris Croft, who is one of the UK's leading business trainers, as well as a regular contributor to the Evolve blog with his often quirky and unique opinions on leadership, team and office environments, and just life in general. Chris has been on the podcast before, back in September 2020, but it was because of a recent blog post of his on Evolve that I wanted to get him back on the show. That post was entitled, Why are so many bosses bad? The article looks at several reasons why so many people don't like their bosses, as well as the issue of people getting promoted into positions of leadership with little or no training. I won't give too much more away because it's a really entertaining as well as insightful discussion. I really hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back, Chris, to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Well, thank you for asking me back. I obviously got away with it last time. Definitely, so that's great. definitely. And the reason you're back is that you provided EvolveMembers.com with a really interesting article which got a lot of interaction and feedback, and it was all about this subject of bad bosses. Yes. So I've got to start, Chris, with the question, why are you so obsessed with the subject of bad bosses? <laughs> Yeah, I think I am obsessed by bad bosses. And I think it's because when I went into management, I I, I didn't know what a boss was supposed to do. So I copied my boss. Okay. Or, although I quite quickly realised that copying my boss was a bad idea because I was looking at my boss thinking, this can't be how you do it. You know, and I've had, I'll tell you a bit more about them in a minute, but I've had quite a few bad bosses over the years. I don't know whether I've been unlucky or whether... Lots of people have bad bosses. I suspect that probably 50% or more of the bosses out there are not good, actually. Partly because it's difficult. I was going to say, that's um, quite a good opening question to follow up with, then, is, you know, why, in your opinion, are there so many bad bosses out there? Yeah, I, I think it is difficult. It's not, it's not intuitively obvious how to be a boss. And most bosses don't have training in it. I think that's a key factor. Yeah, I mean, we know that... The average British manager gets half a day a year of training, which is not very much. And loads of people get none at all. And most people just copy their bosses, which is not always a good idea. I also think perhaps that the wrong type of people end up being bosses. Sometimes those that shout the loudest, isn't it? And the biggest personality. Yes, or the most horrible, aggressive, nasty person or tricky person who plays the politics ends up getting to the top. And, you know, maybe nice people don't often get to be the boss. So there might be... a a selective process going on. But for whatever reason, my personal life survey has been that there are not many um, good ones out there. And and I think that was a formative influence on me. And I think I've spent years now trying to sort of 
redress the balance and push back against bad bosses and trying to make at least some bosses become better ones. Yeah. And I, I, that's become a sort of almost a little crusade of mine without me realising. It was only when you asked me to do this I started thinking about it. <laughs> and do you think a bad boss can become a good boss? And we'll explore that probably in a lot mm. more detail. But Yeah, I do. I think, I think it's quite easy to learn to be a good boss, actually. I don't Ooh, think being a good okay. boss is that difficult. And I think most people just don't even stop and think about it. They just think, my job's to turn up and solve problems, or my job is to turn up and make people work harder. And yeah. the way you do that is by shouting at people. <laughs> uh, that's what they think. Yeah. And, and they just sort of slip into that world of doing that without ever realising there's another way. Yeah. You know? And so I, absolutely, I think there are simple things that bosses can learn and do. I mean, a very quick example before we get into proper detail is thanking people. Mm. Like some bosses never thank people. And I've done jobs where I was, you know, for two or three years, I was never thanked. Now, I, I could have been utterly useless, of course. <laughs> there may I, be a reason. I can't for that believe question. I was that bad. And, and even if I was, they should have found something half decent and praised yeah. that. If you look at dog training, you, you, you pick on the good thing the dog does yeah. and you praise them and you increase you the amount of good. that behaviour, yeah. don't you? And, yes. and people are just the same. People are absolutely the same in that respect. And so, you know, why did the boss never thank me? And they, they say things like, well, I'm paying you. What more do you expect? Or, mm. or you know, well, at least I haven't shouted at you, but so you can't be that bad. Thanking people basic. is just being human, yeah. isn't it? I know, and I've, I've explained this to people on courses, and you could see them going, oh, yeah, oh, he's right. And so, you know, that's one simple thing that bosses can do that works, and it's free, and yet they often don't. Okay. But it's fascinating, isn't it? Because it is. why would they not? Why wouldn't um, we just do and, something that's human nature? But yeah, And so, I, yeah. I suppose there's more principles, and I'd like to explore those yeah. principles with you, Chris, but we probably should start with... Because I think I just want to be entertained by some of your stories, if I'm honest. I've got some good stories <laughs> on this one. Who's the worst boss you've ever worked for? Um, and you don't need to name names, obviously. No, there's, <laughs> I, might, I might change the names. There's a, there's a sort of top equal, really. Um, can I have two? You can have two. Because the first boss I ever had, he was, to be fair, he was the boss's boss, actually. Uh, was when I worked at Westland Helicopters, my first ever job. Okay. And this was back in the 1980s. So out of uni school or uni or whatever. Yeah, and we, we absolutely must say that Westland's is not like this now, yeah. of course. I mean, yeah. this was back in the 1980s when everything was totally different. And there was a guy, I'm going to call him Jack. Jack. Because that was his name. But, <laughs> but he's dead now, I know that. So I think okay. it's. A, and you'll never know which Jack it was. But he, he was genuinely terrifying. And, and this was my first ever sort of view of management. When I first became a manager, I was in charge of one person, but I was okay. technically a manager. And my sort of boss's boss was this guy called Jack. And every now and then we would be invited to a meeting. He, he, would, he was based in Yeovil, but he would come to Western Supermare where I was working okay. once a month to sort of sort us out. Yeah. And we would all be summoned to this big meeting. And there were two things that I remember. One was he... Once he lunged across the table and grabbed somebody by the tie and shook him. And this bloke's head was no. all wobbly. And he was shouting, you better get your act together. You're going to be in effing this and effing that. And he was shaking this bloke by the, by the tie. And, you know, he would physically attack people in wow. meetings. And it was just... So I always made sure I sat on the same side as him and further along. Because, <laughs> you know, it was just... 
he, he was really, really intimidating, scary. scary. Yeah, and not just scared of being fired, but scared of being, you know, attacked. And he used to drink at lunchtime and get violent. And you know, quite a lot of the managers why used did, to drink at why lunchtime. Why did these businesses allow that behaviour? Do you think in that age? It's weird, isn't it? When no. you reflect back now, yeah. like thirty years ago, that was yeah. And the people who workplace behaviour it was it's normal crazy. back then. The people who worked for him used to imitate him and do what right. he did because that's and what they thought he they was needed the role to, do to get on, I suppose. Yeah, and there were some good ones as well, yeah. but there were quite a lot who were like him and, but he was also clever and I remember there was we, we were doing repairs to things like helicopter gearboxes and things at, at Western Supermare and we needed parts when we did his repairs and we would need like just special bolts or special washers small things and we'd have a whole gearbox worth millions of pounds waiting for just one washer yeah. and these washers came from Yeovil and the machine shop in Yeovil was making them for us, but also they were making them for new-build helicopters. And so whenever there was a shortage of some washer or whatever it was, new-build would get priority because there's a new helicopter waiting for that washer. Yeah. So us repair people in Western, yeah. were different, we were bottom of the pile. So he would come and shout at us and say, why have you got you know, 50 half-finished gearboxes? And why are all these customers ringing me up? And we would say, we can't get the parts from Yeovil. And, and he would say, well, just man up and just, you know, go and tell Yeovil they'd better get themselves <laughs> sorted. And we said, well, we've tried all that. <clears throat> and he would say, right, leave it to me. And then the next month he would bring an oily bag of components <laughs> and he would slam it down in the middle of the boardroom table and say, there you are. You know, that's what you need. Because he just said, he, I remember he said, give me a list of the sort of 20 things you need most. And we gave him a list. And there it was in this bag the next month. Yeah. There you are, you idiots. Get on with it. <laughs> and I remember thinking, that's great that, you know, now we can finish 20 gearboxes. But that hasn't fixed the problem. You know, next month we're going to be short yeah. of another 20. Um, and, and also, what was the cost of getting those yeah, 20 parts? hate to hear the other side of that story. Well, he you? will have walked into the machine shop and say, right, everybody, stop what you're doing. Make me one of these. And they'll have had to break down the whole setup of the machine and make one tiny washer just for him. But he's got power. He's God. He can do what yeah. he likes. And I remember just thinking, that has solved nothing. It's just macho crap, isn't yeah. it? Bravado and that. Yeah. And well, that was what he was like. And, but, but you couldn't say to him, this has not solved our problem. Yeah. You know, he was just like, be like me, even though we couldn't because he was the big boss. And you mentioned something in that about, you know, he was God. And do you think power goes to people's heads and that's why they become bad bosses? Um, yes, I think he loved, he loved the power. He loved the fact that everywhere he went, people were genuinely terrified of him. Wow. Um, I, I think he loved that. It scares me <clears throat> that that's yeah. the way people managed. I know. Unbelievable. Although I, st I think now a lot of bosses, st you know, nowadays they enjoy power and they don't, yeah. they don't have that kind of scary power. But, but I think there's sort of political games of why can't you sort it out? I could easily sort that out. I think that all goes on still. It probably happens all the time. And, and I think a lot of people, I mean, why would you be a boss and... I, you know, it's better paid, but it's more stressful and there's a lot of hassle. And I think a lot of people do it for power. It's a bit like politicians. Why yeah. does somebody want to be prime minister? I wouldn't want to be. And yeah. it's power, isn't it? It is. We look at current affairs right now. Rishi, why is he going through all of that with that wealth mm. he, he and his wife have got? He's so rich. He doesn't need to do the job, He's does he? He's doing it, clearly, for yeah. power and position, isn't it? I mean, it could be that he wants to make a difference. Yeah. And I remember when I started out in management, thinking if I could just have my boss's job, I could really make a difference. I could fix problems yeah. like the fact that we can't even get washers made. 
I, I wanted to have our own little machine shop and they wouldn't let me. And I remember thinking, if I was the next level up, I could just buy a couple of lathes and do, we'd it. do it. Yeah, and then we could get all those boxes, gearboxes shipped and yeah. the company would be better, customers would be happy. And I remember... It was almost like a drug, thinking if I could just get the next level up, just I could make there. a difference. And you could say that's power, yeah. but it wasn't power from the point of view of being able to order people about and feel big. It was just to make a difference. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe there are two types of power going on. Yeah. But I think some people just love the power. And actually, that takes me on to my other bad boss, who, I think, second bad boss who I think probably is the worst boss I've had. And he is also... So he's number one, not number yeah, two. and he is also dead now, actually. Okay. But nothing to do with the curse of Chris or anything like <laughs> yeah, that. Okay. We're just all getting old. Um, older. Not you. Yeah. You look eternally young. But um, <laughs> Peter Pan. Maybe. Yeah. But this guy, um, he was my boss in the last job that I did before escaping out of, oh, okay. out of manufacturing. And manufacturing is fascinating, never boring, feels good because you're actually making real products yeah. that are going it's out. tangible. You can tangible. see it, feel it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love manufacturing, but running a factory is the worst job in the world. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's difficult. There's problems every day, big and small problems come at you every day and you don't get a lot of thanks from it. And the people in the factory usually think you've got it in for them, which you haven't. No. Uh, but you're just trying to understand the system and trying to make it work smoothly. Um, and it's so difficult. And... Working for this guy was the final straw for me and was what made me think, right, I've had enough. I do not want to work in another factory. I'm going to do something different. So I would like to officially thank him, even <laughs> okay. though he's dead, for um, giving me the shove to do something different. And I went to work for Bournemouth University. Okay, and that's uh, got what got and, you into the and training, became a trainer coaching, and coaching, yeah. development and, and all of that. And I'm things. so glad I did because, you know, I, I, I feel now I'm doing what I was kind of born to do. And when I was running a factory, I mean, can you imagine me running a factory? It's kind <laughs> I'd of, quite like to it's have been kind a of ridiculous, <laughs> really. Um, and we'll come back to whether I was a good boss or not, uh, I guess, in a minute, because yeah. I don't think I'm, I'm not a perfect boss by any okay. means. Okay, well, we'll explore that as well. But, but this guy, he loved power. He loved just messing with people. So a couple of things he did. One time, he would ring me up and he'd say, come and see me, would you? Uh, this, is, this is a company in... Um, in pool that makes okay. packaging. Okay. And uh, he'd say, come and see me, would you? And I'd think, oh, God, what's happened now? What have I done? Yeah, what have I done? Instant guilty. I always yeah. have a guilty conscience anyway. <laughs> and he made it worse. So I'd go and see him and he'd say, Chris, you know, I'm paying you 40 grand a year. That's what I was being paid. And that was quite a lot of money 25 years yeah. ago. I'm paying you 40 grand a year and you're not worth the money. You're not worth was it. Was that his motivational speech? Yeah. <laughs> now, what would you say if your boss said to you, you're not worth the money? And my first thought, because I, I suppose I'm a bit of a fighter, I said to him, well, I'll prove that I am. Hmm. And he went, oh, well, all right, go on then. So I went away and I made a list of all the improvements I'd made to the factory that year. Because we had the machines running a little bit faster. We had the edge trim feeding back in to save material. Okay. We were buying other people's scrap and using it in a very low ratio so we could feed that into our virgin plastic. And scrap plastic's much cheaper. Yeah. And we were doing some really clever, difficult things. And I made a list of all the things that I say we had done because, you know, I hadn't done it all myself. No, but, but you and the team had done and you had left. Yeah, with my supervisors, we'd, you know, I'd worked out what the problems were. And between us, we'd got answers. And so... It came to 400 grand that I had saved. Yeah. So I went back a few days later with this list to show him that I'd saved him 400 grand and he was only paying me 40 and that I had paid for myself 10 times over. Yeah. 
And guess what he said? I don't know. Clearly not a positive <laughs> response that you no. expect. He said, oh, those things would all have happened anyway. <laughs> so okay. you just think, what have you got to do to please this guy? And nothing. There's nothing you can no. do to please him. You know, because anything you do, he'll say that would have happened anyway, perhaps. Yeah. You know, and there had been all sorts of mistakes made in the factory as well, mainly because we didn't train anybody because we weren't allowed to. Yeah. And, and there were all <laughs> sorts of other things that were going on. So um, that was what he was like. And he loved just messing with your head. He'd say, people are saying bad things about you, Warren. You know, people are not happy with the job you're doing, Warren. And you'd say, well, who's saying, oh, I can't tell you who, so but why? you need to get yourself so, sorted. But why do bosses yeah. sometimes... Even these days, definitely that behaviour will exist. Why does well, why does that happen? Either he thinks that will improve my performance. Okay, so it's, it is a or an attempt he, at motivation, or he just loves kicking me, you know, because he doesn't like me or he doesn't like anybody, and he just has yeah. the urge to kick people. I think it was the powers. second one. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I think he just enjoyed messing with me. And some days he'd come in and you just knew he was looking for trouble, you know, and you had right. to just avoid him really. Um, but there was another thing he did that I have to tell you. This this is just a terrible story, really. Okay, I'm but, worried now. So I had no, no. We can say <laughs> we can say it on our podcast, uh, and I haven't named who he is. Uh, but I had we, we were running this factory on three shifts round the clock making plastic packaging, and um, I had three shift shift managers. Right, and we had we had two hundred people in this, so it's big, and. One day he said to me, Chris, we can't afford to have three shift managers. I want you to pick one of them and get rid of him. Firk him off was the actual expression. Pick <laughs> okay. one and firk him off, which I know that's a Dorset expression <laughs> or something. And so I've got, I've got one guy who's brilliant, right. who I'm going to name is called John Oatley, a really good guy. Okay. Got, got to have him. Yeah. Two other guys who I won't name, but one was young, very keen, but didn't know very much yet. Okay. A really good guy. And my third shift manager was old, knowledgeable, but a bit negative. He was a little bit, yeah. oh, well, we, you know, we tried that before it didn't work and that won't yeah. work here, but knew a lot. And I've got to get rid of one of these three people. And then we're going to run the factory with just two people and me. Who would you get rid of, the young one or the old one? And I quite often ask people this on a training yeah. course and they go, oh, and it's usually a 50-50 vote. Yeah. I decided to get rid of the, old, the older guy. Which would have been my choice, actually. Would it? Yeah. Um, because... You've got to look to the future, and the young guy was on the up and was going to be great. Yeah. And we had lots of changes we wanted to make, and we needed it's a positive change management, isn't it? You need that positive energy yeah. probably to make things happen. So it was a really difficult decision, and I knew that the guy I was going to get rid of that I would basically destroy his life. Wow. You know, he was fifty-eight, yeah. which back then I thought was old. But I wish I was fifty-eight. <laughs> You're now. reflecting on that now, but uh, yeah, and I knew that he probably wouldn't get another job at fifty-eight because mm. ridiculously, if you're over fifty, you're regarded as past it, and and I knew. You know, the redundancy money was going to be about 30K and he'd spend that in a year or two and then he would be utterly stuffed. Mm. Uh, but I had to do it. So I got him in the office and I said, look, I'm really sorry. We've got to get rid of somebody. I've picked you. Um, put all your things in a cardboard box. Don't touch your computer. And he went this ashen sort of grey colour. And, and I just thought, I, I can't believe I'm doing this yeah. in exchange for money. This is crazy. And I also knew it was a bad thing to be doing from the point of view of the company. So because, a business decision. Yeah, because sense. you have to have a good shift manager because a lot of things go wrong, you know, the night shift yeah. or whatever. 
So anyway, he went out and I went home to my wife that night and I just said, I've sold my soul to the devil, really. But, you know, I've been told I've got to do this and I've done it. And so anyway, had a glass of wine, tried to forget about it. Yeah. But you no, don't easily, do so, you? No. Because if you're, again, if you're a good boss, those things live with you because they're yeah. not easy decisions to make. Are exactly. They? So the next day I went in and, and there was the boss waiting for me. And he said, oh, he said, oh, I can't, I can't believe you got rid of Frank. I'll call him Frank. <laughs> okay. I can't believe you got rid of Frank. That was, a bad, that was a really bad decision, all that knowledge. No, you should have got rid of Steve. That was the young guy. In fact, get rid of Steve as well. So, <laughs> so that's what I did. So I got rid of the second guy. And no. so I know, exactly. So, so in the end, it was just me and John running the factory, trying to do 12-hour shifts each, trying to cover this madhouse of people who weren't trained, machines that weren't properly maintained, yeah. stuff going wrong the whole time, you know. Um, and... Mistakes were made. Every day there'd be a mistake that cost thousands. And of course, you know, the big boss would be right on my back, Chris, you know, I'm paying you all this money. And, yeah. and, but what do you expect if you don't have any managers? Yeah. So he, I, I think he deliberately got me to do that just because he knew it would make my life harder. I really, I think he can't have been stupid enough to think that would save money. Yeah. But I fought him every step of the way. Everything he tried to make me do that was wrong, I would argue with. And he would just say, I don't like that bloke over there, get rid of him. And then I'd be thinking, that's one of my best machine operators. So I would just not do it. Right. And I would hope and that he wouldn't notice you that the guy was still there, yeah. just wear a hat or something. <laughs> and then, you know. Wear but, a baseball cap tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then I'd get away with it for maybe a few months. And then he'd say, I thought I told you to get rid of that guy. And, and so. It was a constant battle to try to do things right in my own area. Mm. And, you know, you can ignore your boss to an extent, but the trouble is they're, they're going to know whether you're doing what they want. And disobeying your boss is a, is a crime. I mean, yeah. you know, it's a sackable offence, really. Yeah. And in the end, he just said to me, do you want to have six months' pay and just go? And I went, yeah. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Please. And that started your training um, and development and I thought, journey. Yeah, yes. And I just thought, I'm... I really don't want, because we'll come to him in a minute, but the boss I had before that was quite bad as well. And I had, so I had two horrible bosses in a row and I just thought, and, and at the time I was about 35 and I thought I've got another 30 years. And if I spend, let's say five minutes sorting out, sorry, five, five years sorting yeah. out each factory, then that's six more factories I'm going to have to do till I die. Yeah. And, and, you know, those six factories already exist. Yeah. somewhere in the country and that thought utterly depressed me right and that was why I thought I'm going to go and do something totally different and there was a job going at the university which I took yeah. uh, and, uh, and, it, and I loved it and the rest is history well, yeah and so um, so I would like to sort of thank that unmentionable <laughs> no. boss who up in heaven or so, hell wherever he is now looking at me um, but, um, smiling with a wide face and he didn't mean to do all of those things but I think it was power I think uh, I think he I don't think he really thought that it was going to improve performance, what he was doing. I think he was making a load of money anyway. He didn't care. And I think he just liked messing with people. That's gamesmanship. You yeah. can't have gamesmanship as a boss, can you? No. But you I think that that's a trait. There's a, there's a really nice games theory about persecutor, victim and rescuer. I don't know if you've seen that. No. Which uh, It's called the drama triangle. You can okay. go Google gra the drama, drama triangle. triangle. And what people do is they move. So, for example... So it's persecutor, victim and rescuer. So this guy would get me in the office and he'd say, oh, I've made, I've made a terrible mistake, Chris. So he's in victim mode. Yeah. 
I've made a terrible mistake, Chris, putting you in charge of the printing department. <laughs> so suddenly he's gone from victim to persecutor. Okay. Right. And then he would say, but I'm going to give you a chance. So now he's rescuer. Oh. So he, already he's done all three in the first sentence. Yeah. Because he said, I think you're a good lad, really. Yeah. Rescuer. Yeah. But your problem is that you're totally out of touch. This is pretty much word for word what he said to me. And you start to think it's you, by the way. Yeah, With When, when they do, do this to you enough, you start to think maybe yeah, I'm a bad person. Maybe I'm just... It's surprising how, you know, we think we're quite, quite confident. But the constant drip, drip, drip of your crap, your crap, your crap. You start to yeah. think maybe I am. Yeah, of you course know. you do, don't you? It's so, human nature. Yeah. So you'd say you're, you're too out of touch with, with the guys in the factory. So what I want you to do is to come in on the night shift occasionally uh, and, and, you know, just come in at 2 a.m. and spend a couple of hours seeing what it's really like. Come in at 6 a.m. so you can see what it's like for the morning shift when they come. Now, now he's rescuer, but with a bit of persecute because he's asking me he's to do 24-hour work. <laughs> you know. And then he would say, I'm taking a big risk on, with this on you. I'm, I'm taking a risk. So, so now he's back to sort of victim-rescuer. Okay. And and he's so you you'd better not let me down. So there's a bit of persecutor. Goodbye. So you come out of his office with a head spinning, thinking, is he a rescuer? Is he a persecutor? Is he a, is he the victim? I feel like I'm the victim. <laughs> so he was a master of gamesmanship, gamesmanship. And, and games always have a component of persecutor, victim, and rescuer. That's that's what they are. So you know, even something like I told you so. See if yeah. you'd listen to me. You know, that's that's. Persecute and rescue, isn't it? Yeah. Or, ah, well, what you should have done, you see. Yeah, so we've all done that yeah. at times. We have. Honest, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. Honest. We all reflect some of these traits don't yeah, we, from I, time to time. I remember when I first started at the university, they said, we want to sell more training. We're going to have a meeting to discuss it. And I immediately went into um, rescuer mode, really. And I thought, right, well, I know what they need to do. There's five things they need to do. They need to make the website better, yeah. have a clearer statement of what they, etc. Cetera, et cetera. I immediately knew what the university needed to do. So I went into this meeting in rescuer mode with a hint of persecute, to be honest, because yeah. you know, they're crap and I need to sort them out type of attitude, yeah. which was you know, probably wrong, but that's what I did. So I went in and said, right, well, clearly we need to do the following five things. Did they immediately go, brilliant, thanks, Chris, we'll do everything? No. no. They went into, yes, but we can't do that because of this and we can't do that because of that. And, and, and so I then went into victim mode. Of, oh, they haven't listened to all my rescuing ideas. And, and then in my head, into kind of persecutor mode, of, I knew they were crap. You know? And so I went home and said to my wife, oh, the university are useless, they wouldn't listen. And, so, and, and then I realised I'd gone... Yeah. rescuer, victim, persecutor. You played the game yourself. Which is what, yeah, and it's what we do without noticing if we're not careful. But the problem is when you just get obsessed with playing those games and it yeah. becomes the way you live your life. Yeah, it just becomes it's second the, nature to what Yeah, you and do you do it all the time. And it becomes your management technique that you use on people um, because then it just, you know, it, everybody hates it. And they can't work out quite what you're doing, but they, it makes them unhappy. Um, so yeah, so the the guy at the packaging company was a total games player, and I think he, I honestly think he did it just to get his kicks, and to he probably thought, look at that Chris Croft person with his bloody Cambridge degree. Who does he th think he is? Yeah, you know, I I'll show, I, him. I'll show him. Yeah, I'll I'll uh, squash him once a week for fun, and and I think that made him feel good. Um, 
Um, so I, I think that's probably what's going on. But of course, then you lose sight of the fact that we're supposed to all be on the same team, yeah. all trying to make more with the same vision, the, the same company. goal, same yeah. what is good look like want, for you, and go after it as the, a team. We want the customers to be happy. We want the workforce to be happy. Everybody's happy. Do you think yeah. there's a difference between bad bosses in very large organisations or public sector organisations compared to? You know, the typical listener of this kind of podcast is that business owner entrepreneur. Yes. Do you think there's different traits? Hugely. Okay. I think they could, there are problems in both. Yeah. <laughs> I've got, I mean, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say on this podcast. You can always <laughs> edit it. But my belief is that the bigger the company, the worse it is. Okay. Generally. Yeah. And, you know, the last 25 years, I've been doing training for all sizes of companies. The big companies are always much more inefficient. Okay. Loads of processes, silos, politics. Yeah. You know, getting a decision made is really difficult. It has to be signed off by loads of people. Big companies waste so much time and so much of people's energy and motivation in just stupid ways that they work. Mm -hmm. So... And it's, it, it's not the fault of the people. It's just something to do with the system and the fact that if it's big, you just get more relationships Layers and more... accountability. Yeah. Everything that would happen. Yeah. So, so big companies, I think the problem they have is sort of political bosses who... Because if you think about it, would you take a risk if there was a chance of the company making more profit, but there's also a chance of you getting into trouble? Mm. And the answer is no, just keep your head down. So big organisations are full of people just playing the game and keeping their head down. And you can hide. Nobody will even notice. And contrast that there for well, what you see in small smaller companies. companies. Uh, yeah, they make decisions, they get on with things, they do things. It's yeah. great. I think the, the problem they sometimes have is that the boss can be unprofessional because they can be either a technical person who's had a brilliant idea. Yeah. And it might be software, it might be a physical Absolutely. thing. Um, or they might be a salesperson who's yeah. just been selling stuff but doesn't know about management um, and if they own the company they often don't want to spend money on say training because it's their own money yeah. in a big company you've got a budget you must you've got to spend it if yeah. you don't spend it you, you lose don't it. Get it yeah <laughs> whereas a small company you really feel the pain of yeah. the money so quite often they won't invest so they'll underinvest. yeah and so quite often they have a boss who you know maybe um is a bit macho or aggressive or yeah. or um you know short-term thinker or whatever and i'm not i'm not saying all small companies like that at all there's some brilliant small yeah. companies but small companies it's quite random who the boss is mm. you know whereas when you get to a bigger company it's more professional they've thought more about it and they've, they've got more. systems and and they've stood the test of time as well you know yes. they must be doing something right so i think small company bosses can be um yeah can be it could be bad in other ways just just because they're not really a manager mm -hmm. they still themselves so for example you might have a person who's a sales guy or lady who's running the company and they might still do quite a lot of selling themselves yeah. they might still go out and see important customers yeah. but that means that they don't really see themselves as a manager and they're not really thinking about management very much and they get they think that management is just a sort of pain that has to be done but selling's their real reason yeah. to exist and that's quite dangerous because yeah. then you neglect all the management side. So I think there are different types of bad boss out okay. there. Yeah, and it will depend on the organisation and I suppose industry and all of those kind of things. So yeah. what common complaints do you get typically about bosses when you are undertaking your management training? Because it must yeah. be a question you pose. Well, the one word that jumps out at me immediately is communication. 
if if you I sometimes do a thing called keep and change where you say what would you keep about this place and what would you change about this place where we are where we're, yeah. where you work and they always say the first thing always they just say bad communication they and and that's weird because communication's free it's not that difficult um and I think some bosses are just not good communicators but I think most bosses can do it really well if they want but they just don't put the time aside mm. for it I mean I think you probably should spend an hour a day just communicating. I mean, that's a huge it's, cost. It's a huge commitment. Yeah. It? An hour a day, walking around, talking to people, finding out what's going on, asking people, you know, what they're working on. Yeah. Is everything okay? And then telling them what's happening in the company. And communication, it could be meetings. It yeah. could be one-to-one. But that's always the cry that I hear. We don't, we don't get told what's going on and they don't listen. And it is the one thing in any organisation that can always be improved, however good you are yeah, at it. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I, I've, I remember being a boss and somebody said, oh, we, know, we don't know what's going on. I, th- I think, what? We have a weekly meeting, I put a notice up, I do this, I do that, and you still complain. But the answer is you have to probably tell them several times for them to hear it. Mm. And you've got to use every possible medium, every method to get that message across. absolutely is it, because people receive communication in so many different ways and have different yeah. preferences. And they? you've got to make videos and put them on your intranet and you've got to, put, you've got to write a blog. And yeah. I, I honestly think... You know, you have to walk around the place every day and say, how are you today, people? And some bosses don't want to do that because they're a bit introvert and they'd rather be in their office looking at spreadsheets. And some bosses have got, most bosses have got a ton of jobs they want to do. And and really have to spend a whole hour walking around talking to people. But I, I think I think you do. And I think you can get out of touch quite quickly if you're a boss as well, assuming you know what's happening yeah. when you don't really. You've only got to watch back to the floor. Yeah. And those bosses, they go... Every it, single time. Is it, it this yeah. bad? Really? Yeah. Do they do this? I didn't know. And so, because of course they hide everything when you, when you walk past normally. <laughs> so I think um, that's what people complain about most, communication. And I think a subset of that is involvement yeah just involvement in their decisions rather than we're doing this Uh, and I used to think that you had two choices as a boss you either either I decide and I just tell you we're doing this it's a dictatorship yeah or you decide and I delegate and I say well you you go and do it because I'm not interested you just do it and I used to think it was either tell or delegate yeah uh, but I've realised that actually there's a load of things in between, like sharing decisions or at least consulting and saying, I'm planning to do this. What does everybody think? Mm. And and that's communication. That's the reality of communication, yeah, isn't you're it? seeking feedback. And yeah. As long as you're prepared to change your actions. Well, and that's where I struggle because okay. quite often I've already decided, you know, let's say we're going to change the logo to a different colour or something. Okay. I've already decided what colour I like. Yeah. And if I consult other people and they go, oh, well, no, I think it should be pink. I'm thinking, oh, I don't agree with that. So, so I find it really hard to consult people because I have to then listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, either I know the answer or I don't, in which case I give it to them. But that middle ground of sharing it is actually really good. That's where the powerful ground is. That's where yes. you really can get a benefit. And you end up with, yeah, you? and you get much better engagement. You get better decisions because yeah. you're both involved. And, and once you can get over the hang up of maybe their ideas are actually better than yours, you know, <laughs> really? then you can share it and you yeah. can do it. Um, and I think a lot of bosses, maybe they don't stand back and think scientifically about, OK, I've got to make this decision. Maybe we're going to move to a new office in Bournemouth. Yeah. And there are a couple of options just to stop 
and don't choose it yourself, yeah. but ask the staff what they think, or ask at least your management team what they think. Um, and just realizing that you could share almost every decision you make, actually. And and they, they're not stupid. I mean, they, they know. Yeah. And they'll probably spot things you haven't spotted. Because they're on the shop floor. Yeah. They? They're on the ground. They're serving the client. Yeah. They're not in a kind of any form of ivory tower in any way, shape or form. One of the first things I learned in, in running factories, I, I came in with my fancy Cambridge degree, <laughs> and they were playing darts, and they can subtract triple 19 from 301. And I can't do that with my fancy pants degree, you know. Uh, and then they would work out that if they did three hours of overtime on a Saturday, which was time and a quarter, that they would be paid X amount. And they could work out their hourly rate times three and a quarter, you know, times times time and a quarter or time and a half, yeah. times three hours. And they had all that worked out. And then they had a separate bank account that their wife didn't know about. And, <laughs> and they put some of it in there. And they, I mean, they were spot on, those guys. And... and I instantly realised that my fancy fancy pants degree <laughs> was worth nothing in a way. Yeah. You know, so you absolutely should involve your people in most of your decisions. And I think a lot of bosses don't do that. And that's an easy win, isn't it? It is. Along definitely. with thanking people. Communicate, a, get involved. That's a good yeah. start, isn't it, to the whole kind of process. Yeah. Why would you not? And, and, and while we're on communication, like telling them what you're working on because most people don't know what their bosses do. They think their boss just sits around having meetings mm. or, you know, whatever. Yeah. But imagine if you had a whiteboard yeah. with your sort of top 10 projects you're working on, you know, expanding into America and trying to improve the pricing structure or whatever. I don't know, whatever it is. Yeah. Because these shouldn't be secret things because the people who work for you can almost certainly contribute to those. But if they saw that, they would think, blimey, he's, he's got a lot of difficult things on. Look at all that. Now I know what he does all day yeah. or she. But, but, you know, most bosses think that what they do is kind of secret and they shouldn't share. But, and at the weekly meeting, you could say, OK, well, what are you doing this week? And by the way, this is what I'm doing this week. Yeah. I'm going to go and talk to these investors and try to get them to put 10 million quid in, into the company or whatever. And people would think, oh, right. So even if they can't contribute, at least they can see the, what you're doing and the yeah. value you're adding. Because you shouldn't have anything to hide it's as a that boss. that kind of whole visibility piece. So I suppose, yeah. I mean, you, know, you make your living now as a very successful coach, trainer, people developer and all of those things. So maybe this is a loaded question. But where do you see real life experience fitting alongside training and development? And I think I've got to add a third to that compared to some of the other then more you know, degree-like people management qualifications. Yeah. So where do you go from real life to, like, professional management qualifications? Where do you sit on that whole subject? And what should people be thinking about for their team if they're looking to promote them? Well, yeah, because when I started as a manager, I'd had no training at all. Yeah. I was completely guessing. And in fact... I'll just quickly tell you this before I answer the question properly, because my first ever management job, I was in charge of one person who was a lot bigger than me. He was a big, scary guy. He'd been a nightclub bouncer and a policeman before he came. You worked for me. (laughs) I didn't choose him. I was just given him. Yeah. And they said, they said to me, you'll meet Keith tomorrow. Don't be frightened of him. He's all right, really. (laughs) (laughs) That's a sleepless night then. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And, um, and he was, and I, I remember saying to him, looking sort of upwards towards him. <laughs> Hi, Keith, you know, what, what, you know, so what do you want to do? 
Uh, and uh, and he immediately said, well, I've been thinking about this and I think we need a progress board with little pins that move along. I mean, to monitor this and da, da, da. And he'd thought it all through. And I just said, brilliant, go ahead. And I was so frightened of him. I just said, do what you like, basically. <laughs> and he just went off and did a brilliant job. Uh, and he was, we were sort of progress chasing the repair of rotor blades, but it doesn't really matter what it was. The point was he did a brilliant job. And I think he thought I was a really good boss. But it was only because I was terrified of him. Yeah. And, you know, if I'd, A, known the answer myself and, B, not been frightened of him, because I didn't know the answer and I was frightened of him. But if I'd known the answer, and not, I would have said to him, Keith, I want you to do this, this and this. And I would have been a dictator. Yeah. But, but luckily, it worked out well because I just said, do what you like. <laughs> so, but I'd had no training at all. I, I, and I remember wondering even why they needed me because he did all the work, really. Yeah. And I used to say, brilliant, Keith, carry on. Off you go. Yeah. And so I remember thinking, what's the point of a boss? And it was only after I'd been guessing my way through it for a few years and feeling a bit of imposter syndrome as yeah. well, really, that I went on a management course, which was run by an ex-army guy. So it was quite old-fashioned sort of command and control sort yeah. of thing. But what was good from the theory was it gave me a framework with which to think about things. You know, I suddenly realised there is this continuum from tell yeah. through to sort of um, consulting and involving, sharing and yeah. right through to delegating and then abdicating beyond that where yeah. you don't want to go. And so then I was able to think about what I was doing and think, well, which method should I use for this? And, and I remember when they first showed me Maslow's hierarchy, and that's just a theory. Yeah. Um, and a bad training course, they'll just show you the theory and go, right, next. Yeah. But a good training course, they'll say, how does this apply to your real life? How can you make people feel more secure? Or yeah. how can you make people feel more important? Yeah. And, you can, and if you really discuss it and get into it, you can make it practical. So I think the key is to somehow get a link between the theory and the practice on the training course. Because okay. otherwise people will go away and think, well, Maslow was interesting, but it's too hard to apply it. So I'll just go back to doing what I was doing before. Yeah. So you have to really help people make the link. See the practical reality of the academic yeah. in the real world. I mean, I've got a great example because I do a, on my negotiating course, I've got a story about a pine table and where I got loads of money off this pine table from this scary bloke in Bristol who'd stolen it. <laughs> and so I tell this story... And it illustrates various things about opening offers and trading and things. And then quite often I get an email a month later from somebody saying, I've just got a real bargain on a bit of pine furniture. <laughs> and I'm like, no, that was not a story about tables at all. It could mean anything. Yeah. Um, but people just copy exactly what you tell them. And I, I think people find it really hard to, to make the link between the theory and then their jobs. So I think ideally you would make that link or you'd help them make that link because otherwise theory on its own is no good at all. No. Um, and, and so I, I think something like an MBA where you get a huge three-year wodge of theory yeah. is really undigestible. I mean, to actually apply that is really yeah. hard. Um, I did an MBA and... I would say a third of it I already knew, because I wasn't that young when I did it. Okay. So the stuff on operations management, I already knew. Yeah. A third of it, I didn't understand. <laughs> That's a very honest answer, Chris. <laughs> but, but a third of it, I have used. Yeah. So the bit about the marketing bit and the finance bit, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not an accountant, but I actually understand 
you know, cash flow and profit and loss and all those things. And, and that was like, whoa, because for years I've never really understood those things. And so the MBA, it filled in a few random gaps. But the trouble is, I didn't know what the gaps were beforehand, no. or I perhaps wouldn't have admitted there were gaps. But the fact that we got everything, you know, one third of it wasn't wasted. Yeah. And it's perhaps a bit of an expensive way to fill in the gaps, but it, it did do that. So I think you have to have theory and practice. Theory on its own, you just can't digest. And practice on its own is too hard. And, and why reinvent the wheel? I mean, you're never going to reinvent management theory. People have been thinking about it for hundreds of years. Yeah. And to just walk into a job where you're really busy and under stress and invent management you, theory, yeah. how are you ever going to do that? So you'd be mad not to have a little bit of training. I mean, I know I would training, say education, yeah. But yeah. put the practicality alongside it. Yeah, and but then of course the problem is: Do you train people before they need to know about it, before they're a manager, when they're th- sitting there thinking, "Well, I don't need this, and I don't understand this, I can't relate to it," yeah. or do you wait till they've been blundering around for five years yeah, and then and give got it to the scars? Them? Yeah. yeah, which is what happened to me. But I was when I finally saw it, it was like, "Ah, oh, great! Now I can see all the things I've been doing wrong and why some things work and some things yeah. don't." And so. Probably it is better to give people a year or two or, or to kind of drip feed it. I suppose it. it's about understanding your people, isn't it? And as you promote them, understand what kind of character they are. And some people need to be yes. have that education to feel confident going into a role. Yeah. And others do need to see the real world and the reality of it before they'll yeah. accept the training, maybe. Personality. And also boss as coach. So a yes. good boss would say to you, here's the next thing you need to know. Yeah. But, you know, often they haven't been trained either. And, <laughs> and of course, senior managers never have training because they're too important and they think they already know everything. <laughs> so you never really get... The one The one exception, I do some training for something called Vistage, which is like okay. a managing directors yeah. club. And that's a bunch of managing directors who want to be better. Yeah. And that's brilliant to actually get access to managing directors. And when I first started that, I thought they were going to be really scary and really arrogant. Mm. And they are neither. They're really keen to get maximum value, you know, because they're paying quite a lot. And they're just absolutely right. Tell me how to do this. And it's fascinating to see, you know, the the few good bosses out there who've really got a thirst to go from good to great. But I think that's the trait of a really good manager and leader, isn't it? Is to always have a growth mindset. Yeah. Always to want to learn. Oh, yeah. Because especially something like management, you'll never be... I mean, I know I'm a control freak. I know that I want everything done my way. Yeah. And you might say that's a leadership quality, or or, I don't know. Because the other problem I have is I really care about things. So, you know, if I do a course in a bad company, I've got to decide, am I going to... And suppose the boss afterwards says, so how did it go? Yeah. You know, do I tell them? Do I say, well, I think there's quite a lot of things wrong with the way you run your company. Do I tell them? You know, and because I care, I stupidly do tell them. Quite often. She should. Because I could just keep my head down and go, it's all great. Yeah, hire yeah. me again. Bye. Yeah. You know, but I can't resist trying to make a difference. I mean, I'm in a position now where I can sort of pick and choose a bit. And if they fire me, that's up to them. Yeah. So, so now I, you know, I really can yeah. say what I think. Often they don't even ask, by the way, which is also interesting. Well, that's... that's You'd think they'd want to know how That is we... a sign of a bad culture and yeah. organisation. I've spent a whole day with their people. And, yeah, and how did it go? Should be one place I went to... Oh, I've got to tell you. One place I went to, uh, we did a culture drawing. So I, they, they wanted a day on leadership and management. And I started by saying, draw a picture that symbolises your management culture, the way this company is run. Yeah. And they drew a building with a Ferrari outside, because the boss has got a Ferrari. Okay. And 
This is not a Bournemouth or Poole company, <laughs> by the way. It's a bit further away. Um, and then in the, in the penthouse on the top, the managers were having a feast. And there was a great big sort of pig and food and wine and things. And then down in the dungeon were a load of employees chained to their computers, to their desks with shackles, handcuffs. Wow. And one of them had actually died and was just a skeleton still ha- tied to his computer. And so they drew this. And I said, well, that's interesting. So, you know, why have you drawn this? T- talk me through this. Yeah. And they were saying, well, that's how we're treated. And, da, da, da. And, and, and I was there to teach them how to be better bosses. And I said, well, you know, so what are we going to do differently from now on? And things like that. And so I, I was quite surprised by the drawing that they'd yeah, drawn. Yeah, quite a shocking and then, drawing. Yeah. And then the next day, I got a phone call from the training person saying, I can't believe that you let them draw that drawing. And that drawing has gone viral in the company. Everybody's, <laughs> everybody has seen it and everybody's talking about it. And you've caused a load of trouble. And I'm like, all I did was ask them about ask the company. The you didn't draw the um, picture. Yeah, and they never hired me back. Uh, but but I actually think if I'd been the boss and seen that, I would have thanked the trainer by saying, I, I've learned something. Thanks for discovering yeah. this because we're going to do some things differently from now on. And perhaps say to the trainer, what do we need to do differently, in your opinion, to, to change people's perception of this? Yeah. Because this is not how we think it is and we don't want it to be like this. We didn't mean it. But obviously people see it like this. So, so what, what should we do? You know, that, I think they should have actually thanked me yeah. and asked me, but they didn't. They were just yeah. like, you and your, you know. <laughs> Newfangled ways. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I think... It's a really good question. Being though, open it? to improve yeah. is quite... It, but that takes a big mindset to, you know, you have to be a big person to say, I'm not perfect, how do I be better? Yeah. But none of us are perfect, are we? No. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm I learning as I go every single day. And I, that's yeah. one of the reasons I enjoy being a leader. It is really, I think management is really difficult because you've got so many different types of personality there. You've got, time is always an issue of what you spend your time on because there's so many choices. Yeah. You know, time management gets more of a problem the more senior you are Mm. because there's more stuff to do, more choices, your time's more valuable, you have more effect. Yeah. Um, And and there's a certain amount of stress and pressure on you as well. Uh, And you're often trying to do a functional job, as I mentioned, as well as trying to be a manager. So that's... Yeah, you know that's difficult. I mean, do you have clients, by the way, still yes. here as well as yeah. you see? So you, yeah, and and so if you're not careful, you start thinking that looking after them is your f- primary role and management is secondary. And yeah. and it's it, yin yang, isn't it? Yeah, they should be top equal. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I think management's one of the most difficult jobs, and and it's always a, a slightly thankless task because there's something weird about being in charge of people. Um, so I can't remember whether I mentioned this before, but I remember once being asked by a bloke on a machine. It was, he was actually on a jig borer. And he said, why are you my boss when you can't even operate a jig borer? And, and I said, well, my job's to look after you. You're the yeah. one with the skill. We both agree that. And my job is just to make sure you've got a supply of material and work and drawings and that the machine's maintained and you've got everything you need so you can work. And, and I work for you, really. Yeah. And I honestly do believe that. Yeah. Perfect. Answer. But he had a second line of attack because he then said, in that case, why are you paid more than me? <laughs> <laughs> and, and the answer is, I actually said to him, would you swap jobs then? You know, would you do my job for your money? Yeah. And he went, oh, no. <laughs> and so he obviously knew there was something about my job Roles, that wasn't fun. Yeah. Because he's got his little domain that he is 
king of and yeah. really good at. Yeah. And he is safe and secure in that he's really good at operating that jig borer. Yeah. And if there's any problem, he could just put his feet up and say, run out of material. Whereas I've got horrendously messy domain of hundreds of different types of machines, none of which I can operate, and people being sick and... I don't mean throwing up, yeah. but, you know, going off being yeah. ill and, and shortage of material and breakdowns. And so I've got to juggle this nightmare, messy world that I'll never really be on top of. And a boss saying I want 10% more output every yeah. six months or whatever. And so my, my job, although I work for him, is more difficult than his job mm. um, or less desirable. I mean, you know, if somebody offers you lots of money to be a manager, why would they do that? And it must, you know, why don't they why don't they pay managers less? Mm. And the answer is, you have to pay that much to get someone to do that job. Yeah, to take that because it's a really difficult job. Yeah. But then we fall down because we allow people to do it really badly, and you yeah. end up with really bad bosses being paid a fortune. Them, you don't train them. You don't do all of those and, things. And because there's a time lag, they can get away with it. Because yeah. quite often, when a, a bad boss comes in, it's a bit like American presidents or possibly English prime ministers. They can come in. They can run on the momentum of the previous one for quite a long time and do mm. kind of nothing for a year and the company just rolls along and still makes money yeah um, you know a good boss can leave everything for a few months to run so on they should yeah yeah so they should be able to that's easy the sign exactly of a good boss. that's yeah. the sign of a good boss um you know if you can't there's a there's a boss of a company quite near here who can't go on holiday because he has to check the payroll every friday so every Friday, he's got about 150 people working there. Right. He looks down through the payroll and he makes sure that nobody's getting a strange amount. Doesn't yeah. And I'm just thinking, you've got a financial director who's a really good guy, by the way. Okay. Um, but you don't trust him. No. And below the financial director, you've got the head of payroll. There's a woman who runs the payroll department who's really good. So she's there. So you've got two people who could check it. But no, you have to check it yourself. And the worst that's going to happen is somebody gets paid 500 quid extra, which you're going to find out when you get yeah. back from holiday. You know. And even if you didn't find out, so what? You know, cause, I'm still speechless. <laughs> yeah, he literally cannot. He's not been on holiday for 10 years because he has to check the payroll. I mean, email it to him if you like. He could check yeah. it from, his, from the wow. beach. That's but archaic, that's in, isn't it? Yeah. That's controlling it. It's worst yeah. degree ever. But he's, he's interesting because every course I do, people complain about him. But whenever I meet him, he's incredibly nice and charming. Really nice guy. I've met him socially quite a bit. Really nice guy. Uh, and yet, there's obviously a, a problem yeah. there. Um, there's a flaw. But it's control. It's just... But, but, but it's also time management, because what's best use of his time? And it's not checking the payroll, is play it? to your strengths time, yeah. not play to your weaknesses or yeah, yeah. your insecurity. So, as we wrap up our conversation, Chris, have you got some key principles... That um, you think, you know, individuals that are managing and leading should follow? Yeah. Well, I was told years ago by a guy called Mike Jinks, who I really respect, brilliant guy, said, he said, there's only one defence against bad management, and that is to cease to care. Mm. And I was fascinated by that. And I actually think, in a way, he's wrong, because I think the first reaction to bad management is to cease to care. Yeah. Um. But there are some people who manage to still care even though they've got a bad boss. I think that's really difficult because I think a boss can absolutely ruin your life. Five days a week of telling you you're crap. Yeah. You know, I, I like to think I'm pretty tough and pretty confident and, um, yeah. and things. But, but, you know, I've had bosses who have really got to me and really yeah. 
ground me down to the point where I was losing sleep and really stressed. And I never thought it could happen to me. You know, I thought stress was for wimps, (laughs) but it's not. No, it's Um, the reality of life. Yeah, really, they can get to you. So I think it's really hard to carry on caring if you're a bad boss. But I think there are two other things you can do. Uh, And one of them is leave. Mm. Um, And then the other one is to fight back and try to change the way your boss manages you. Yeah. And to say look, you're micromanaging me, leave me to do it my way. And if they fire you, well, leaving was your next option anyway. Yeah. And so I personally think the three choices in order, number one is to try to change your boss's behaviour. Yeah. And that may be impossible on three quarters of bosses, but on the one quarter who mean well, but they're just not yeah. doing it quite right. And sometimes it's because they're under pressure. Yeah, and they might go, oh, sorry, yeah, you're right. You're I mean, right. I'm a control freak, but yeah. if somebody says to me, Chris, you're being a control freak again, I'll go, oh, God, sorry, you're right. Yeah. You know, so tell me, and that's fine. So I think the first thing is to try to retrain your boss. Yeah. If that doesn't work, I think leave. I think the third choice is to do a job you don't care about. Mm. You must never do that because you're just wasting your, your life. Life's that's, too short. Life's too short for that. And I know people who just turn up for work and they just do a job they don't care, but it's an easy life, and they they minimise the energy that they use and then they put all their energy into their personal life the evenings and weekends other passions that they have in life yeah and other passions that's great but five days a week it's too much to waste yeah you know and and you'll you'll have a midlife crisis where you think i've not made any progress in this job i'm not learning anything you know it's not sustainable so so the first thing i think is fight back against the boss but in a positive way yeah and don't just say you never communicate with me or you're a crap communicator. That's career limiting. <laughs> yeah. Say to them, I would love to know more about what's going on. Could we have a meeting every Monday for just five minutes yeah. where you tell me what's happening? So offer them something positive and something concrete that they can actually do. Yeah. Because then they'll go, yeah, I could do that. Give that a go. You know, if they actually say, no, I don't care about you. I'm not going to tell you anything. Then you know then you know they don't care and it's time to look for something else. Yeah. And I've, I've been made redundant three times over the years. I was looking back over my CV. <laughs> and those, those three times, I should have left, but I didn't. Yeah. And I just stuck it out for a bit longer because I thought I could change the boss or live with the boss. And in the end, they got rid of me. And I'm really glad they did because every time they did it, it led to something better. Mm. So that final time when I went to work for the university, I'm so glad that happened. You know, if he'd tolerated me, I'd still be there now. And, oh, my God, what a thought. You know, I'm so glad that I went down a different career. So I would say to anybody who who either leaves or gets pushed out by a boss who they've been fighting with, don't worry about it because you you didn't want to be there anyway. And and another door always opens. uh, Yeah, absolutely, and it always does. And... If you end up somewhere worse, well, then the one after that will be better. So, you know, life is like it's a search for the right thing for you. And, and when I had two bad bosses in a row, I, I did start thinking maybe it's me. And, you know, if manufacturing is a round hole and I was a square peg, I was just trying to get another round hole and still <laughs> not fitting in the bloody round hole. Um, and... And so you just got to keep, you got to find the right shaped hole for you. And, and it's really difficult to work out what it is. I, I honestly think it's trial and error, actually. You just got to try things that are different and see what happens. Yeah. And, it, and it might be brilliant. Yeah. And, and I mean, you've been doing, uh, yeah. 
you've been in coaching and speaking, you know, yeah. instead of being a manager of an accounting firm. And, and it may be the right ship to hold or it may not. I don't know. I'm going to ask you about that later. But it's but the point is, try it because yeah. it might be completely brilliant. And if it's not, it doesn't matter because you did it. And so I just think you've got to keep keep experimenting. And it, that's but that takes courage, doesn't it? Because if you've got a mortgage and kids and things, yeah, you've got responsibility yeah. and all of those kind of things. But then, and ideally, I wouldn't leave a job till I had another one lined up. Yeah. But but if you fight with your boss and they suddenly say, right, do you want to go? You know, here's a month's pay. Yeah. It's pretty scary. Jeez. But those have been the best things that have happened to me when that's happened. So so I think um, the principles are try managing your boss, asking them to do things that are concrete if that doesn't work be prepared to leave um and don't ever just sit it out don't ever sit it out no no and don't don't tolerate a bad boss because you're rewarding bad behavior if you do that i mean you've got to at least tell them and you've got to say when you do this it makes me less productive it makes me feel like yes this. it makes me feel like this and therefore it, you know it that just doesn't work as a way to manage me that doesn't work mm. Um, you know, is it possible to do it like this? Can you give me more information or give me more encouragement or give me some coaching and, and ask for what you want? Or, or suggest some sort of contract where you say, if you could do this for me, then I could do this Yeah, this is what you. the outcome for the business yeah. would be, or so, the organisation would be. Yeah. yeah, so if you could give me these resources or this support or this, then I could do this and that would be great for the organisation. What do you think? And then if they, don't, if they say yes and then they don't do it, you could yeah. say, do you remember we talked about it and you said you'd do this, but you haven't. So please, will you? Yeah. And if they, if, if they get to a point where they say, I'm not, I'm not going to support you, I don't care, I'm not doing it, then you know it's definitely time to go. You've given them a chance. So rather than just leave, I think you should say something. Absolutely. Uh, but if that doesn't work, you have to be prepared to leave. And on that note... <laughs> <laughs> what a subversive conversation this has been. But I really hope this makes a difference to people's lives. Yeah. Uh, because this is really important stuff that they don't tell you at school... And they don't tell you at work either. No, you find you know, out for yourself yeah, along the way. Yeah, you? you just stumble across this. Stumble across this podcast. And by the way, if anybody out there's got a boss who's horrible, send them this podcast. Don't yeah. you think? Share it. Look at that. What yeah. a practical idea that is. Yeah, Chris, as ever, it's been an entertaining and fulfilling conversation from my perspective. It sparked some thoughts in my mind. Great of things perhaps I'm doing well and some things that I might just need to change. But that's for a story for a different day. But, you know, and I loved um, one of the simple things, and it's actually not about bad bosses that I've taken away from this, Chris, is just asking the team, what would you keep about this organisation? Yeah. And what would you change? That's yeah. the one takeaway. I know it's got Excellent. nothing to do <laughs> with to bad do with bosses, yeah. but I think that for me is the takeaway from our conversation today. So, Chris... If people want to learn more about you and what you're all about, where can they go? Yeah, just go to chriscroft.com and that's my website and you can find my tip of the month there and all the other stuff I do. And also LinkedIn. Follow me on LinkedIn because I'm always, I post every other day on there all, all sorts of stuff. Okay. Uh, so yeah, either of those would be great. Brilliant. Thank you for being an incredible guest on the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. If you enjoyed this episode, then please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing. We really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes. 
And please don't forget to learn more about Evolve by going to evolvedmembers.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week.